here, off about three quarters of a percent. And it looks like there's going to be quite a big slide of about 400 points or so at the open for the Hang Seng in just under uh, one hour's time. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, hot, sunny periods, few thunderstorms and showers. The maximum temperature is good. Uh, going to be around 32 degrees and then there's going to be sunny intervals a few showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days temperature right now is 29 degrees 82 percent relative humidity times 8 30 here's andrew shrosky with the half hour news a school principal says it won't be easy for secondary schools to maintain full-day in-person lessons when a new vaccine rule takes effect in two months' time. Right now, schools can hold full-day classes if 90% of the student population has had two COVID jabs. From November, that increases to three. Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, says between 260 and 300 schools have applied for full-day class resumption when the new term starts this week. But he says younger students need only two vaccine doses and must wait 150 days between their second and third jabs when they turn 12. He told Ben Che that schools cannot, that cannot meet the 90% threshold by November would need to return to half-day classes. I think like at the beginning, especially like in the first few days of the new school year, and uh, the school, we still do not have the, uh, the figures and all the data on uh, free doses vaccination from students. So uh, certainly it will cost some uh, time for the school to collect this data in the first week or first two weeks of the new school year. And currently, what is the COVID vaccination rate uh, like at the moment for secondary schools? Well, as far as I know, it's quite high for two doses. Uh, as per the government data, almost 200 60-something to 300 schools, they have applied for the full-day school resumption on 1st of September. So uh, I believe that the vaccination rate for the second doses, I mean with three doses in secondary school is quite high. Health officials have reported another 8,848 COVID-19 cases, 237 of them imported. 13 more patients with COVID have died. Dr. Chuang Shukwan from the Center for Health Protection says the authorities expect a further increase in the number of cases. We all understand that BM.5 has been the prevailing strain in many places over the world and including Hong Kong at the moment. So we understand that BA.5 is more transmissible. So this may uh, cause a further increase in number of cases as the uh, BM.5 further increases. The United Nations has launched an emergency appeal for 160 million U.S. dollars to help Pakistan cope with the flooding that's inundated large swathes of the country. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the aid would help more than 5 million of the neediest for an initial six months. The Pakistani people are facing a monsoon on steroids, the relentless impact of epochal levels of rain and flooding. The climate catastrophe has killed more than 1,000 people with many more injured. Millions are homeless. Schools and health facilities have been destroyed. Livelihoods are shattered. Critical infrastructure wiped out and people's hopes and dreams have washed away. The scale of needs is rising like the floodwaters and it requires the world's collective and prioritized attention. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're talking about the tightened COVID restrictions for secondary schools just ahead of the start of the new academic year. The government says at least 90% of students must be double vaccinated for local schools to hold full day in-person classes when students return tomorrow, with the requirement rising to free jabs by November. Primary schools and kindergartens, meanwhile, can only hold half-day classes for the time being, as the vaccination rate for young children is still too low. Now, this comes as a new survey found that the pandemic has made young people less willing to socialise under social distancing rules. Many say they're worried about maskless interactions with their friends when things return to normal. So, how will students and schools be affected? Will the effects extend beyond the classroom? Will the new rules push more parents to get their kids jammed? against COVID. And after 9.15, we'll be looking at how effective the rent control law has been in protecting the interests of people who live in subdivided flats. So let us know your thoughts. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat at rthk radio free. Or of course, you can call us. The number there, 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Now, to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined by Rizvan Ulla, Vice Principal of Lo Ting Pong Secondary School. Also on the program, we have Zarina Ho, the Principal of the Islamic Kasim Toot Memorial College, and Leanne Lim, a counsellor from Sprout in Motion. Good morning to you all. Now, good, mis- morning. good morning. Now, Mr. Ulla. Good morning. Now, Mr. Ulla, what do you make of the latest announcement? Well, the latest announcement is clear. Like you have an ultimatum if you want to have uh, a full day lesson, three jabs, ninety percent. So uh, I think uh, in earlier news report, like uh, like someone was talking about the uh, uh, the secondary school has uh, has a high number for you know uh, two jabs and uh, going for full day from September first. But this news uh, that came uh, actually, I think, broke the heart of many schools. Does your school currently qualify for the um, full-day schooling? You have, do you have, uh, ni- yes. you have 90% uh, yes. and two jabs, yeah. but you, you presumably yeah. don't know whether you have 90% for free jabs yet. Uh, well, actually, we had uh, numbers, and uh, like we keep ourselves updated every month. We have a mechanism to look at uh, uh, the movements of our vaccination numbers, and uh, uh, with uh, three vaccinations, I mean, I believe uh, the general norm in Hong Kong uh, would be far beyond uh, for third jab to reach 90%. Right. Ms. Ho, what was the situation at your school? Was the vaccination rate like among students? Um, actually, for senior students, uh, the number of uh, vaccinated students actually is quite high. I think it's already reached uh, 80%. And uh, I think due to also the vaccination path, and many of them, they need to go out. So many of them actually already get the free jab. And for junior car, it's a little bit difficult for the time being because, um, uh, especially for Form 1, um, we just find that uh, quite a number of them still not yet get the, uh, even the first vaccination. So um, after school start, we will also arrange a vaccination program uh, for the students who still not yet reached the minimum requirement, and we will try to help them for the vaccination. So you're saying that you're, you, you think it's 80% among the, the senior forms. Are you talking yes. about three, three jabs or two jabs there? Uh, two, because two. for the time being it's two. So uh, we still have two months to uh, prepare students to have the free jabs. So hopefully it will be okay for us 
But if you're 80%, you don't meet the 90% requirement already for the two jabs. Yeah, it, it, it will be fine, yeah, because no. we have time. We just uh, start the school. But 80%, are, are you starting full-day schooling? Uh, this, this? Uh, not yet, because um, uh, we have students, they are just coming back from their own country. So those students, they did still not yet. So uh, for the coming two weeks, we will inc uh, uh, encourage those students not yet get the free jet, uh, try to get free also. So initially, you'll be starting as half-day schooling then? Sorry? Initially, you'll be starting classes as half-day schooling instead of whole-day schooling? Yes, for the time being, uh, I think that will be more safe because uh, in our school, actually, we have a lot of students. They are not just from local. Actually, they are also from uh, many different countries. So this time, they are coming back. So in order to play safe, uh, we start uh, half-day schooling for the time being. And Ms Ho, you just mentioned uh, that uh, many Form 1 students haven't been vaccinated yet. Do you have a percentage for that? For the junior class? Yes, you said Form 1 students? For one student, I think half of the students, they got uh, one or two jets already. But uh, there are some students, uh, I think around 30 to 40 percent, uh, they still not yet get maybe uh, one jet or even two. Isn't the Form 1 students have a particular problem because some of them are not yet 12 years old and so it, it may not be recommended for them to have um, the, the BioNTech vac vaccination? I think the most uh, important thing is majority maybe of the EM. Uh, the ethnic minorities, they do not really understand uh, how the vaccination can protect them. So there's many of parents still hesitate to get the vaccination. Um, so I think uh, we need to have more promotion um, to those students and parents to let them understand the benefit of getting the vaccination. And uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you'll be starting with half-day school, Ms Ho. I mean, are you? Um, how will that work? I mean, will you have half-day face-to-face uh, classes at school and then, uh, and then a half-day uh, online lesson in the afternoon? Mm, for our school, uh, for the time being, we will conduct half-day school, face-to-face -face school. I think uh, students, uh, for the last two years, because of the pandemic, actually we uh, have quite a long time is uh, online. And I think half-day schools can help them to adjust uh, themselves back to a normal uh, school life. So instead of full day, we start from half-day, and when we reach the requirement, then we can start full day, maybe step-by-step, step, such as, for example, start from the senior class first and then the junior class. Uh, half-day schooling face-to-face -face, uh, is already uh, tiring for some of the students because m many of our students, they are living very far. And if uh, afternoon, uh, again, we have online, may not be easy for many of the students. It may be happy for them. So we will give them more, for example, work. They can do some self-study at home. And for senior class, yes, um, actually some of the teachers, they have an online class after school uh, so that they can catch up with the Hong Kong DSE syllabus. And uh, Mr. Ula, earlier you said your school will uh, have full-day uh, full classes uh, when it starts tomorrow. And um, actually over the weekend, Education Secretary Christina Choi, uh, she said a uh, full-day in-person classes may be cut to half-day if daily COVID cases rise past uh, 10,000. Um, how concerned are you? Well, I'm looking at it uh, uh, like this. Uh, I think uh, yesterday's news... Uh, and the circular that uh, we are able to see. Uh, right now, I mean, uh, like if I try to interpret, like why you have a two months, uh, there are some schools have already been uh, doing full day uh, in the last academic year. 
and they're ongoing. And uh, th these two months are given to these uh, those schools to uh, make necessary adjustment. Either you you reach the 90% mark and continue your full day, or if you don't reach uh, that 90%, you have time to make adjustment. Because for schools, uh, it's not only like a button where you press, oh, switch to half day, and then a button to uh, press, it's full day. It's not, it's not that straightforward because there's a lot of uh, logistics involved. You know, when you look at lunch arrangements, activities, talking to service providers, you have talks, seminars from outside, all these things are affected because uh, if you run a half-day timetable, uh, your lesson time and all these things are changed completely. So uh, uh, these are some internal administrative uh, headaches that the school will have. But, I mean, eventually, like if you ask us, I mean, uh, uh, all educators, you know, we want a uh, full day and uh, because this is uh, very important. And I think uh, kids of this, uh, like those who are coming up from the primary school, these, uh, those, uh, those kids are primarily affected the most. And, uh, uh, and a lot of research and even the findings that you, uh, you, you shared earlier indicate some of these issues the school really, really wants to help and contribute and change, you know, those narratives. And, and I guess we, we can't really have a discussion on this without uh, hearing from students themselves. Um, here, here's how some secondary school students feel about uh, online learning during the pandemic and the news about half-day school. I like going to face-to-face -face classes because you get to bond with students more and you're able to learn more and ask the teacher questions. Online lessons allowed people to use computers, which can help, but it also makes people lose focus because they always play video games and watch YouTube. Online lessons is definitely useful for keeping the education system conti to continue. Uh, throughout pandemic, right? But whenever I have a question to ask, uh, I feel like I'm more likely to just Google the answer uh, than asking the teacher because I feel like subconsciously, because I have to write it in a chat, I don't get the engagement from the teacher back. I have to wait for them to read the question. Uh, half day school would make me a bit worried and also a bit upset because I know I can't focus as well during online classes and that's teachers can't communicate and engage well with students or with online classes. So I'd be worried about how that would affect my grades, especially since I have uh, public exams in two years. I actually don't mind half-day school because I can have more free time for exercise, instrument lesson, and more time for reading. And also, if it's full day, after I finish all my work and finish eating dinner, I have to go to bed right away to wake up early. There's no free time that I can use for myself. I don't really like half-day school because I won't get to talk to my friends as much. And also the lessons will be much more rushed. So that's uh, how some of the students feel. And, and, and it seems like uh, they value real face-to-face -face social interaction with their friends or their teachers at, uh, at school the most. Um, Miss um, Lim, let's go to you. You're a counsellor who's uh, always in contact with uh, kids. Um, how important does this kind of uh, social interaction play in the uh, development of students uh, at that age? Hi, Janice. You know, at this age, as a teenager, we all know they start moving away from their parents and their goal is to hang out with their friends. So we are, in a way, trying to encourage them for face-to-face -face interaction. So with half-day schooling and the likelihood of half-day schooling, 
or taking that face-to-face interaction, the opportunities away from them. And if we're talking about those who haven't had the experience or haven't had the experience of seeing their friends, they kind of lose out on that connection. We know they like being on social media apps. We know they text each other, but nothing beats face-to-face. Um, and, you know, many with the younger teenagers, for example, some of them don't even read facial cues or body language much anymore because they haven't had the opportunity to practice that. And you, that's obviously a very worrying trend. You say don't read facial cues, um, but it's not really face-to-face. It's mask-to-mask, isn't it? I mean, yes, uh, it is. <laughs> what, what did you make of this survey that found that majority of school kids are actually worried about... Um, um, faceless, uh, maskless activities with um, um, their peers. You know, it's quite interesting. I've spoken to many teenagers. They said they've gotten so used to hiding behind their masks mm. that they feel exposed when they remove their mask. Yeah, that can be a serious problem. You're, you're yes. talking about uh, children's development. Presumably that's a serious Absolutely. problem going forward. You know, they, they've adjusted so well to all this mask wearing. They, they've done a lot better than we have. Because they've more or less grown up with it during their key developmental years but now if we were to rip it away they feel so exposed and they'd rather hide at home i've had many tell me so then you start worrying about this concept of social anxiety so if you and i were to have social anxiety it could often develop in the teenage years and teenagers we know it's when their bodies are changing they're already so conscious about it they're worried about not doing well in school or in sports you know they have to worry about what others think of them. So now, if we're asking them to rip off their masks, they've got more anxiety thoughts they have to deal with. And, you know, as a mental health professional and former school counselor, the concerning trend is if someone were to develop social anxiety in their teenage years, a lot of times we'll see correlation with depression being developed along, whether it's caused by anxiety or just co-occurring condition. And later on, they could develop depression. And then we've got anxiety kids who then turn into what we call school refusal students because that anxiety becomes so physically manifested that their headaches and stomach aches are real and they can't go to school anymore. Or those who are so anxious socially, we know many will turn to alcohol and drugs to help them feel better, but then they become dependent on these substances. So there's tons of things to worry about right now. Mr. Ola, have you noticed uh, changes in your students' behavior? I mean, are they, are they less social now? Well, actually, uh, this issue, I mean, uh, uh, the research and numbers are supporting it, uh, but this thing uh, has been there, like, since uh, uh, when the COVID, you know, was already for a year or so. Uh, actually, uh, what we found, you know, uh, generally, like, uh, uh, like that, uh, the dependence on masks was high. Like, I mean, if uh, kids wear their masks, they feel very uncomfortable to take it off, like, this could be seen, you know, like when uh, kids even engage in online lessons, sometimes they don't want to show their face or or they would just put on a mask instead and join your face-to-face, le- I mean, online lessons. These were some of the things uh, we saw. And also, uh, in particular, I think those junior home students uh, in S1 and S2, that cohort, uh, we observed, you know, the kids were, uh, the social skills, people skills were a little weak. And uh, that actually points out and draw draw our attention to work on these social skills with these group of students and as well as those students in senior forms and uh, how we work around with their mental well-being and also the resilience in uh, in coping with uh, the new norm uh, during the COVID and actually this new norm of mask uh, 
protection when this is gone uh it's a it's something new that you know as schools we have to uh, look at right miss ho have, have you noticed anything as uh, something similar to what mr ola has been uh, saying I think uh, in secondary school, in my school, actually the situation is okay because um, uh, students, of course, they prefer no mask. And uh, when uh, having activities like sports, they also want to uh, uh, stay without masks. But of course, because of the requirements, so they pref- they have to do it. So many of the students, I think they are already used to it, but it doesn't mean that uh, they feel stressed when they don't have to wear the mask. You so say- I think it's uh, because of I, I think uh, it's also about culture because in my school many of the students they are non-Chinese students, so like uh, many girls they are used to even without masks. I mean when we don't have to wear masks, some of the students they also prefer wearing masks uh, to go out. So I think the situation is a little bit different from the local school. Yeah, but so if they but if they prefer to wear mask prefer to wear masks, you must have great difficulty um, in uh, persuading them to have other kinds of social interaction. I mean, actually, of course, they would prefer no mask. Okay. They they do. So so you're saying they do prefer no, but you're saying some students prefer masks, but other like students. The girls actually they don't really care whether with or without masks actually. Right. So, so Mr. Ola, you've, you've talked about uh, some of the uh, behavioural changes uh, you've observed. I mean, how should we deal with this? I mean, uh, what can schools do? Well, I think uh, that for all schools in Hong Kong, I think we have to revisit, you know, like uh, our approach, you know, uh, the new uh, approach or the new pedagogy that we have to use. I mean, with, uh, like looking at these students have gone through uh, a COVID-19 for a long time, uh, a different learning, and now we have actually have to see how to strengthen uh, the learning needs of these group of students. If you arrange activities, like uh, let, let's say uh, for your value education or life education, can we work more with, you know, uh, a resilience, mental health, well-being, uh, communication skills? We have to have, you know, like we assume these things were but natural before, but now uh, we have to actually uh, have some intervention inside and make it, you know, uh, make it work. And we have to purposefully and intentionally arrange these kind of uh, environment in our hidden curriculum so that, you know, the kids uh, are able to overcome, you know, as what uh, was outlined, uh, outlined in the uh, study of, uh, by the Lutheran Council. Ms. Lim, is that the right approach? Yes, I think including what we call social-emotional learning curriculum in key schools. So we know we can teach them this, but we have to give them opportunities to practice it. Uh, now, I know um, previous experts have talked about giving kids opportunities to practice all these skills in small group settings at school. And I suppose as a former school counselor, the question is, how do we find time? We're trying to make up for lost curriculum time, do we have time to offer them small group therapy within schools? Or do we ask them to go outside after school to find small group support groups outside in external clinics like the one I'm in? Um, so it's a fine balance as well, giving them time or do we make them catch up on their learning? And what's your advice? <clears throat> what's your advice to any parents who may be worried that their children are uh, seeing their social skills affected by uh, by the COVID restrictions? Yeah, um, the schools I've worked at before, the parents were great in reaching out to the teachers. 
teachers and counselors and expressing their concerns so the school is able to give them one-on-one support or small group support right away. Um, if you don't have a school counselor at school, I think my advice is as a parent, we can be quite quick in shutting down our children when they share their views with us. You know, especially if they say, I'm so anxious, I don't want to go to school. The usual comment from parents is, you can't think that, you have to go to school. So right away, we're, 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 we're telling them they can't feel that way. The, the alternative way to talk to your child is when they say, I'm so scared. Then you need to say, tell me more about it, what's going on. And the point is to get them to identify their feelings and then eventually lead them to figure out what it is that they're afraid of. Um, so, for example, if a child saying, I'm so scared of going to school, as you talk to them, they may say, well, I don't want to fall down in front of everyone in the stairwell before I get into my homeroom. Then you start unpacking what's the likelihood of you falling down in the homeroom. Going, this goes back to social anxiety, right? So if you don't have access to support, parents need to encourage more discussion at home. And what age groups are you most concerned about? I mean, we've talked a lot about secondary schools on this program because uh, of the, uh, the vaccination requirement and the way it affects secondary schools. But um, maybe younger kids are even more affected. I think so. Um, when we were going back and forth with online learning over the last few years, the primary school teachers did an amazing job because the kids go out of school. When they come back, they forgot all the classroom rules. We're talking about lower primary here. They have to reteach them. You sit. You stand, raise your hands, you don't hit. Especially during recess when they start pulling toys off each other. I mean, this is extreme cases, but they had had to be re-schooled in social skills. Every time they go back, they forget. Once they come back to school, they have to re-teach them all over again. And with the older primary, they're old enough, not quite teenagers, but they hear enough about the news. Um, those who have OCD are very careful with washing heads and wearing masks. You may see more pronounced. Um, reaction in uh, in the upper primary kids. So that is actually quite concerning as well. So they need help even all the way up to upper primary. And of course, primary schools have never had full-day schooling since um, since the pandemic began, basically. I mean, we talk about secondary schools, at least secondary schools have had the option if they comply with the requirement. But uh, primary school kids, uh, if, you, if you've been at primary school, you've never had full-day schooling since um, 2019, basically. Yes, and if you were to speak to teachers, they said this the disruption between online and physical schooling has really had an effect. Right. Let's go back to the uh, vaccination requirement uh, for a bit. Um, the uh, like, like we mentioned earlier, vaccination requirement will be tightened further, and students will be required to have had uh, three COVID shots by November for full-day lessons to continue. Um, Mr. Ulla, uh, how are you going to uh, make sure that can happen? Uh, you mean getting the uh, 90% of... Yes, uh, getting off? getting more students uh, uh, to get their third shot. Well, actually, uh, we will, uh, you know, uh, continue uh, actively uh, communicating with our parents and uh, look at the intention of the parents as well, whether, you know, they have any intention of getting the the, the, the third shot. That, that will give you an idea, like, where we stand uh, as far as the numbers concerned. And then I think we have to do more uh, promotional work, uh, inviting some experts uh to quash any uh, uh, misunderstanding, myths, or uh, understanding the hesitance, and then try to, you know, uh, get that change around. You know, uh, for school week, we, uh, we can do this, and then, but eventually we have to have, you know, the parents to take their kids to get jabs. And uh, this is one approach uh, that we are uh, thinking. And uh, also, at the same time, you know, for the kids as well, if they are going to have this 
themselves will also, you know, uh, want to have this, uh, as we have uh, heard some of the verbatim of the, 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 the students earlier. Uh, so these, these are the approach that we will do uh, at, uh, at school level. This is what we can do. But I think at the society level, I think uh, we have to see how we can motivate our parents to, you know, uh, see how we can, uh, because without their effort or common understanding, uh, school alone can't do it. Right. I have an email here from James. He says, uh, this must be so confusing for schools, teachers, parents and students. And uh, he wants to know, um, should schools provide vaccinations? That's uh, from James. What, what do you think, Mr. Ola? Well, I think we have uh, done it uh, before also. Like, uh, you know, like uh, you, you arrange your school as a vaccination center or you, you arrange a, a group to go for vaccination. I mean, for school, uh, as part of our uh, civic education, we're more than happy to do this. Importantly, uh, our parents uh, and the community, how they view this, the importance of full day. If, if this is a common consensus and then we need common action, then I think uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's beneficial in fighting the COVID as well. If we have m- uh, many people jabbed with a third jab and the barrier is higher, then more normalcy can come. All right, Mr. Ola, we'll have to uh, take a break for the news. And thank, thank you, you very much for joining us this morning. That's uh, Rizwan Ola, Vice Principal of Lorting Pong Secondary School. Many thanks also to Serena Ho, the Principal of the Islamic Kasim Tut Memorial College, and Leanne Lim, a counsellor from Sprout in Motion. We'll continue this discussion after the news when we will be joined by pediatrician Dr. Alvin Chan. And uh, remember, you can ask questions or just share your views on today's topic. You can call us. Our number is 233-88266. Now, here's the weather, sunny intervals with a few showers and thunderstorms. Highs expected of around 32 degrees. Winds will be light and uh, a few showers expected in the next few days. Right now, it's 30 degrees. Relative humidity, 80%. This may uh, cause a further increase in number of cases as the BM.5 uh, further increases. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with your guest presenter, Danny Gitchings, and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about the tightened COVID restrictions for secondary schools just ahead of the new academic year. The government says at least 90% of students must be double jabbed in order for schools to continue with full day classes. And joining us now, we have a pediatrician, Dr. Alvin Chan. Good morning, Dr. Chan. Hello, good morning, Janice. Good morning. And just, uh, so what do you think of this uh, new announcement? Yes, I I think uh, it is a measure to ensure that the uh, school reopening would not allow the spread of the uh, COVID-19 in the schools uh, amid the sixth wave. Because um, for the past two weeks, uh, it is quite definite that... uh, the proportion of BA.4 and BA.5 had risen to more than half of the um, infections. So uh, the infectivity of this, uh, these variants are even worse than the previous um, strains of the Omicron. And so I, I think uh, it is uh, an appropriate move for the um, Bureau 
to have such a change of the requirement from CHP that um, the students should really uh, have uh, more than 90% of students that has been uh, given three uh, jabs before a full day uh, face-to-face uh, classes could be conducted. Um, of course, it might cause a little bit of uh, inconvenience to the parents and the families, but perhaps uh, as some of the principals have said, uh, the parents and the students might have been quite used to get used to uh, the testing for the past few months. Um, even though there was a short uh, summer vacation, uh, they might not find it too difficult to carry out this uh, as a habit had already been formed. But the teachers should be caring for the uh, patient. Uh, I mean, the students and the families. If they had, uh, if they have financial difficulties or logistical difficulties in carrying out, they could uh, proactively um, have uh, concerns and uh, even provide the uh, testing aid for, for, for their families so that these uh, tests could really be done. And um, I think it, it is quite uh, a practicable urge for the um, parents to get the uh, children to have the third jab because it is found to be um, really effective for the vaccinations to stem out the uh, severe cases of infection of the COVID-19. So you support this uh, third jab requirement, but how about the timing? The third jab requirement for the schools is not going to come into effect until November the 1st. Hey, you, you can understand that maybe the schools need time to prepare, but um, the cases are rising right now. And in fact, um, some people say they think this sixth wave will peak in October. So maybe this requirement will be too late. By the time it comes into force, the number of cases will already be falling. I understand and I fully agree with you that uh, that's a time lag. And uh, of course, um, in retrospect, of course, people could always say that, oh, this measure could be announced much earlier so that uh, the requirement uh, could be achieved um, earlier and so that the uh, full day classes could be reopened uh, sooner. Because as, as a pediatrician, I really fully um, support the idea of having two-day classes and to have the uh, extracurricular activities for the students as soon as possible. And so I, I think, of course, this is something that um, has um, been imperfect. And I, I, I would really think that um, if uh, we could have um, uh, faster um, vaccination uh, programs for the parents to get the uh, students to have the uh, third jab, uh, I think um, it would be much better. Well, I think for the uh, primary school students and the secondary school students, uh, that might not be that difficult and might not really have to take that long, say, uh, November, to get the third job done for 90% of the student population. Because I, I, I think um, for 
the uh, vaccination hesitancy, it is most significant now for the kindergarten age group. For the primary school age group, we, we, we have uh, observed that the take-up of the uh, vaccination had not been too slow uh, as we had um, been worried uh, uh, two months ago. So um, I, I think it is for the kindergarten um, students that uh, the parents might have more worries. And I think the government really should step up much more efforts in uh, education and uh, explanation for the parents so that the parents could have more understanding and less misunderstanding about the, the vaccination. But of course, this is not easy. Uh, I understand that. So, uh, but for the full day um, classes to be open for the primary school and secondary school students, I think it's really quite important. And so the uh, Bureau perhaps should have interdepartmental efforts to uh, increase the uh, public education and to have uh, a, uh, assistance for the parents to get the uh, vaccination done for, for, for the students. Say more mass vaccination programs to be carried out in schools so that the students could have the third jab uh, or the second jab and third jabs in the schools so the uh, parents could have less inconvenience. And uh, so more, more public education must be carried out so that the parents could have ease in mind uh, to be more um, relieved and less anxious in having the third job for the uh, children. Uh, we, we have an email from uh, Phil. Phil asks the question, says, are kids not vac who have been not vaccinated, are they banned from going to school? Uh, Dr Chan, can you answer that? Well, I think from the current measures, uh, the uh, schools are asking the um, parents to have um, the third job as well, so that uh, red and amber... Um, you know, uh, signs are, are not allowed uh, for the parents to enter the school premises. And for these students, uh, if the uh, principals and the teachers carry out um, the orders and comply with the instructions from the Bureau, they, 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 they might really uh, urge the parents to have the um, the students to have the third job. And this, I think, they, that the Bureau might have to change some of the rules. Say, uh, now it is uh, insisted that uh, the third job has to have an interval of uh, at least uh, three months or six months from the second job. And uh, that will really um, deter the efforts of the parents to carry the children to have the third job. So I think this rule might have to be eased. Okay. And otherwise, uh, the parents could not be allowed to bring the children to the school, and uh, it is not fair. 
Um, Phil, on your specific point, are kids not vaccinated banned from going to school? As far as I understand, children can go to school even if they're not vaccinated, but uh, they're not allowed to take uh, part in uh, maskless activities like sports activities and music. All right. I think if the the testing had been done every day uh, for the students, if the test, uh, if the children had already uh, had the second jab, uh, and they, uh, I, I mean, even if they, they uh, have, the, of course, if they have the mask and have the testing to be negative, I think the bureau uh, might have uh, consideration whether uh, some of the whether these students could be brought to school, and if the uh, requirement is really so strict then these students might have lost the right to be educated. And, uh, of course, these have to be considered. All right. I have another uh, I have a message here from Duncan. Uh, he wants to know more about the vaccination situation, like how many um, children between age 12 to 19 are vaccinated. And he also wants to know when, uh, when they can get a third vaccination dose if... Uh, uh, for example, if uh, they have been uh, previously infected before. And uh, also, um, do we know how many 12 to 19-year-olds are still waiting for their third dose or had a previous infection? And uh, that's from Duncan. This is a very good question. Uh, Dr. Chan, particularly for uh, students who've be already been infected with COVID, what, what is your advice about when they should get a third vaccination? Well, uh, from the instructions of the Bureau, they uh, suggest uh, uh, people to have the uh, third jab, even though they were infected before, because of the changed uh, variants. Now the BA.4 and BA.5 could have reinfection. In fact, more than perhaps a 10% of uh, those could be reinfected. So uh, I think uh, it is legitimate for the Bureau to request, uh, I mean, to ask people with the history of infection to get the third jab, even for the teenagers. Um, I, I understand that uh, uh, the, the rule seems to be changing uh, quite often. But I, I think uh, that is the um, uh, problems of uh, uh, changing Omicron in, in, in the pandemic. And so uh, the, uh, I, I don't have the data of the number of uh, people having uh, the uh, infection and then uh, the, the, the only second wave, uh, second jabs, and uh, whether they have to have the third jab immediately so that they could go to school. Um, I think um, we have to clarify with the Education Bureau and the CHP. Uh, how about the uh, risk of my- myocarditis? I'm sure you have a lot of um, uh, parents actually coming to you, maybe quite concerned about yeah, their. Uh, uh, and we've just seen another survey which confirms what we already knew, which that uh, young boys are at more risk of my- myocarditis. Uh, that is uh, now the the risk of myocarditis is there from natural infection, and the risk of myocarditis is there for the BioNTech vaccination, um, but it's reduced after uh, reducing the um, dose to one-third of the adult dose uh, for the teenagers and also for the children. And so after that, uh, the risk had not been uh, noticeable 
even for the beyond tech jobs for children. But of course, um, for 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 uh, for the um, uh, infants and toddlers, um, we uh, have to reduce the dose to one tenth. And uh, of course, you, you could say that we need more data after uh, reduction of the dose to one tenth, whether it is really insignificant. Uh, but then, uh, if the parents really have doubts, after all, there are no uh, pediatric doses of the uh, BioNTech available now. Uh, from the scientific data so far, uh, the Sinovac jab has no implications on uh, myocarditis. No risk of myocarditis have been observed from all those uh, people uh, vaccinated with coronavirus. So. Um, uh, this is, uh, I think, uh, quite clear. What, so I think uh, no risk of uh, myocarditis have been demonstrated after Sinovac uh, vaccination had been given. One thing we saw in the latest Hong Kong Youth <coughs> Survey, it said that the risk of myocarditis after the third BioNTech jab was lower than the second BioNTech jab. Can, can you explain that? Is there a scientific explanation for that, or is it just uh, maybe a statistical fluke that after the third vaccination, the risk is lower than after the second vaccination? Well, I have to study the uh, um, survey, I mean, the uh, paper... Uh, prudently before before I could really uh, give the explanation. But of course, uh, one one thing is that because uh, things had had changed after all, uh, we have reduced the dosage of the uh, second dose um, of the BioNTech only after several months uh, of observation of increased myocarditis in the teenagers. So, uh, but. For the third jab, it was uh, begun uh, exactly at the one-third of the dosage of adults since its introduction. Uh, perhaps uh, that, that's one of the differences. So, uh, and also, uh, the uh, second guess is that if the immunological system in the teenagers or the people had already got used to uh, the uh, immunological challenge from the vaccine uh, at the second dose, then the third dose, uh, at the third dose, the individual had already been accustomed to it. Then the uh, challenge to the heart uh, causing myocarditis might be less. But I think the most soothing, comforting uh, result is that uh, all these patients with the myocarditis, uh, myocarditis would recover uh, after the uh, initial uh, signs of uh, myocarditis, uh, and that is um, comforting. But of course, I have to study uh, the scientific data um, more detailedly, uh, scanning through the paper. All right, uh, Dr. Chan, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program. That's Alvin Chan, a pediatrician and co-chairman of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
Yes, you're listening to Backchat and it's now 20 minutes past nine, which means it's time for us to turn to our second topic today. And that's about the effectiveness of the rent control law in protecting the interests of people who live in subdivided flats. To tell us more, we're joined by Angela Lowe, a community organiser at the Society for Community Organisation. Good morning to you, Ms Lowe. Hello, good morning, everyone. So, so what's the update? I know you uh, met with uh, the uh, ratings and valuation officials yesterday. Uh, yes, we had a, uh, a meeting with the Commissioner of Waiting and Valuation Department and some of the government uh, representatives. Uh, I think that was a platform for us to um, have communicate with the government to let them know uh, the latest situation of subdivided unit market after the implementation of the tenancy uh, control ordinance. And some of our, uh, because all the all the tenants, we have around 12 tenants uh, went together with us and because all of them had finished the contract with the uh, landlord and they are facing uh, a few problems. Say, first, uh, the landlord refused to renew the contract. It means that they refused to sign a new contract with them. And even some of them, um, said that the landlord agreed to sign the contract, but when they uh, when they signed the contract, they just saying that uh, they still have the problem of overcharge of electricity and water fee, and also uh, they complains about the expensive rent level of subdivided unit because um, some of the landlord um, try to increase the rent in a rather high level uh, before signing a new contract. Actually, we. Uh, increasing when while renewing tenancy agreement was quite common, but uh, they just think that uh, after the implementation of the law, the increment of that um, when while renewing contract seems a little bit getting higher. So we just point out all this problem to the government so on that yesterday's meeting. You, you think these landlords are breaking the law then? Yes, we can say so. So because, then it becomes uh, they, a matter they, of... They, they, they refused to sign a contract, of course, was, was not okay. And also, even they get a contract, that contract due and duty. And for the electricity fee and water fee, the, the, the landlord just keep on charging them according to the, the past patches. They didn't follow the, the law's rules. All right. Do you have any figures? I mean, you said uh, many refused to sign new contracts with the tenants. Uh, how many? Um, according to the survey we had done uh, 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 in last last month, yeah, we have interviewed like 550 uh, people who are living in subdivided flats, and around 30% of them actually uh, facing this problem. Their landlord refused to sign a contract with them once after uh, the finish of the old one. So they are keep chasing the landlord and said, can you come and just sign a contract with me? Because they want to make sure about the rent level and also all the charge of the unity. Right. And you spoke to uh, officials yesterday. What was their response? Um, I think the government uh, had helped them to uh, 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 to start up a case if they're willing to do it and because if they, after reflecting the situation, if they're willing to to uh, to let the rating evaluation department to follow up, they would. Uh, they have already have set up a meeting interview with those uh, tenants, so they would start the investigation. 
if they find there really some violation of law. So I think from the case level, the government had followed up some of the cases. And also, um, they, they, they have, I think the, the, part, the, the, the response is kind of like positive. They, 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 they said that they, they knew the situation and they agreed to, to, to do more inspections because in the meeting, besides pointing out those problems, we think that the most, um, the troublesome point is like, um, there's a law, then there's someone didn't follow the law, but there's no one to charge them, no one to go and say, okay, you, 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 you can't be like that anymore. And now the government just lifts the responsibility to the tenant. They would welcome the day to file complaints, but the tenant was just worried about being kicked out. So it was quite hard for them to 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 just come and file complaints because they would they would say that during the investigation it takes time. The vendor may find out that's me, then 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 what what would they do to me? So that I think for the most positive point that we had heard from the government, they agreed to um, doing more home visit, doing the inspection, take up the responsibility to 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 investigate and knowing more about what's going on in the subdivided units market rather than leaving the tenants to do all the the, the complaints part. I think that's the, the point that so the government had point out. It sounds like you're saying the, the, the law itself, the law is okay. The problem is about the enforcement or the lack of enforcement of the law. Is that correct? Uh, actually, the law itself, uh, we think that it has covered most of the part of what it was. It, it, it was not perfect because it didn't address uh, and regulate the initial rent level. We also point out this point to the government yesterday. We think that this still have the room for improvement. But overall itself, generally itself was, uh, was quite quite okay because they have covered different parts of the protection of the tenants. But of course the enforcement should be improved. They were not strong enough. And also, I think only because of the enforcement, also the education, the publicity was not strong enough because it was quite common for the landlord or even the tenants. They didn't have a very... Uh, good understanding on the content of the ordinance. So you can improve enforcement, maybe you can improve education for tenants, but I, I'm not sure how can you address or solve the problem of tenants being scared to report their landlords because they worry the landlords will then kick them out. I mean, how, 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 can, how can you solve that problem? Uh, because um, actually... Uh, they, they they would not they would not take the for, for the tenants they would not take the initiative to to do the complaints report cases but if that's the government they would do regular I think they do regular inspections and they find out that some activities are violation of law they just they just uh, would do that would contact with the landlord I think it was different I think it's different from just the tenant reporting the cases because there's that there's nothing related to the tenants. The landlord would not like blame them. That's just regular activities, regular inspection of the government. And I think after doing regular regular inspection uh, on those uh, activities, the, uh, the 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 subdivided unit market would 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 get the message that the government is really doing something. I think it's kind of like making the landlord know that uh, they can't think that they are lucky enough to escape from the law. Because I think now the the, the the landlord think that they would be lucky enough to escape from the law. The government would not come and 
and build up, do something to me. And of course, the, the tenant would not be willing to do it. So I think after doing a lot of like inspection, then of course, there were some cases showed in the news. They knew that they would have the 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 effect, the consequence of violating law. I think the whole situation would be different. The atmosphere would be different. Are there regular inspections at the moment? Excuse me. Are there regular inspections of these uh, flats yeah, at the they, moment? They say, they say so because we uh, because now the, the law came into effect um, for eight months. I think earlier, from the earlier stage, maybe first few months, they did not uh, have maybe the capacity to do it. But now the government said that they were increasing, uh, doing the inspection. Uh, some of the staff from the waiting and valuation department would join the the social workers from the service team because they have like set up uh, the service team. That I point different NGO to do it. They would join with the social worker to do the home visit. And also, they would they would do the questionnaires with the tenant to to see uh, whether the landlord had violation of law. Okay, so you're you're hopeful that there will be more inspections in future. We we hope so, and we urge the government to do it. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it here for now. But uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. And that's uh, Angela Lowe, a uh, community organiser from SoCo. Uh, many thanks also to you who emailed or commented today. And, of course, to my guest presenter, Danny Gitchings, and my producer, Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Um, sunny intervals with a few showers and thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 32 degrees. And uh, winds will be light and the outlook, sunny intervals with a few showers in the next two days. And uh, over the weekend, it will be uh, very hot and dry. Right now, it's uh, 31 degrees, relative humidity, 73%. Under the Kindergarten Education Scheme, the registration certificate for kindergarten admission is used as a registration document. Parents of children born on or before December 31st, 2020, who will attend K-1 in the 2023-24 school year, are required to submit applications from September to November. Application forms are available at district offices, post offices, and the Education Bureau. You can also submit applications online. For details, please visit the Education Bureau website at www.edb.gov.hk. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. A hotel operator says that cutting quarantine in half to three nights for inbound travelers has caused a tremendous reduction in its business of up to 50%. Director of Operations at Ovalo Hotels, Mel Vestine, says there are also fewer travelers as summer ends and school begins. 